welcome to Dr. DM, a podcast where three pseudo-professional D&D players take questions from game masters to help them plot out their stories and plot against their parties. The doctors are in. And again, just another little intro. I am Tasha. I'm Beth. I'm still Leanne. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's... Much, much like how this whole kind of last year's been, everything's kind of on, uh, interesting for, for our lives, but podcast keeps going. Yep. Everything's a little topsy-turvy. Mm-hmm. But we will survive. Um, despite all, despite our best efforts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, I know that Tasha's in the middle of moving after, you know, I just moved a couple months ago and now Tasha's moving. Um, I mean, you just bought a car, Beth. I did. Mm. Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. Fun. I'm not excited. But yes, I bought a car. Um, what about you, Leanne? Any any new changes coming up? Any new stressors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure plenty. I'm just not thinking about them. Okay, that's fine. That's valid. <laughs> I'm not very successful in not thinking about them, but I've no. got a kitty watching over me right now, so everything's okay. That's good. Well, shall we? We have a, a kind of a short episode planned today. We only have two questions, um, but I thought to give everybody else a little bit of a break, including our listeners, we might make it just a little bit more chill. Um, so are you guys ready for our waiting room question? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. This waiting room question, again, comes from Zach P. So thank you, Zach P. Um, He asks, or they ask, how do you get in the mindset for your sessions? Oh, it depends. It depends on what the session's going to be about. Because, quite honestly, I just think about it a lot. So whenever we start, I'm, I'm in the mindset for my session because I've been thinking about it for the last month (laughs) but it it really does it depends like if if you know something dramatic is going to happen in the next session because you know you're planning to do something dramatic in the next session then you start thinking about what your villain's going to say and what kind of reaction your villain might have or any and any npc like if your npc is going to drop a bomb on one of the characters like yes i am your dad then you need to start thinking about what kinds of reactions they're going to have and how what kind of dialogue your npc is going to have and so i, I i've said it before i'm not the best note taker when i prep for games so i don't like write out like potential dialogue options like, I, I don't, like, write out, like, sentences or anything. But I do think from a narrative standpoint, what what is my, what is this character going to say? Why are they going to say it? What, what helps this character come to terms with whatever information or dramatic thing that's going to happen? I am a rigorous note-taker for my sessions. So, to get in the mindset for my sessions I usually go back and look through the notes that I've been taking since the last session I probably will reread the points that we touched on um and whatever we ended up doing 
and where we ended for the last session so we can just pick up and go without too much um, recap. It also depends on how much time has passed between sessions. Although I will say I'm a very inexperienced DM. I've only DM'd I think a total of twice including the um, like two games. So I, I tend to be a ball of anxiety. Uh, I have a problem letting go of control, so when I don't know everything that's always happening, always in the game, I get a little freaked out, especially uh, the last game I played was with a bunch of new players, so they had a lot of questions, which was fun, but I realized I didn't have all of the answers, and then I felt like I was slowing everything down and ruining things because I had to go and look for the answers in the books, and that was really discouraging and also false because my players were very patient with me and they genuinely wanted to learn but I don't have an answer for how to get in the mindset if you're the type of DM who tends to be as nervous as I am um, other than just trust yourself you know the game that you're playing and it's okay if you have to look things up I think genuinely that is just an experience thing I think the first handful of times I actually DM'd, I was very, very nervous because, of course, I had DM'd several times before that, but I was a co-GM. I wasn't the sole GM. I wasn't I wasn't the one doing the voices or the character acting or coming up with dialogue on the spot. I was helping with other stuff. I was essentially learning game mechanics and helping with game mechanics and helping with special effects and things like that for the game, but I wasn't... I wasn't the one doing, making game decisions. I wasn't the one leading the story. So the first time I actually led a story, I was scared out of my freaking noggin. Now, I did pick, I think I picked Toons as one of the very first games I ever DM'd by myself. Which is a very, very fun uh, RPG that lets you, lets you play Toon characters. And because the, the rules for Toons were much kinder... And a lot of the answers were, you're the GM if, you know, if uh, uh, it doesn't work, cheat. You're God. You know, like, like that was actually one of the rules is just cheat. If it doesn't work, just cheat. Because you're, you're, you're cartoon characters, it doesn't matter. That being able to play as a GM in that first game where nothing had consequences and it was okay if it, there was no continuity between episodes was fine. And so it gave me the opportunity to develop confidence in what I was doing. Then I started DMing Dungeons and Dragons because, of course, I knew Dungeons and Dragons. I knew how to play it. Um, and I'd been playing 4th edition for a while. So I knew enough about 4th edition to feel comfortable playing with it. But again, I think, I don't know if you remember, but back in high school, I spent like an hour looking up stuff basically every 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 week we were playing now you guys were still talking to each other while I was looking stuff up and so the story was progressing while I was looking things up but I spent a good chunk of those sessions flipping through the DM's guide trying to find where that rule the player's handbook where that rule was because I knew it existed and I'd seen other GM's refer to it but I just didn't know it off the top of my head now in retrospect I know they were lying um <laughs> They didn't know that rule any better than I did at the time. They just had the confidence and the comfortability or the, 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 the ability to sit down and be like, that might be how lava works 
in the book. But for right now, this is magic lava, and that lava is going to work the way I say it's going to work. Because, you know, whatever. It, it It's, you know... For, for this session, if I go and look up and discover Lava has other rules, or one of my players is like, I think Lava has rules in the book, then I'm like, okay, sure, let's take a second and go look up those Lava rules. But if my players don't care, and I don't care, then it doesn't, then the rule doesn't need to exist for our session. Yeah, if you have kind, forgiving players, or even brand new players, mm -hmm. your ability to make things up as you go along increases like tenfold. Mm -hmm. um, you can lie to new players. No, yeah. I'm not telling you to lie to your friends and deceive them, but I no. am saying in the realm of the game, if they don't know what's happening because they don't know the rules and you're in charge, you can kind of just make up the rules. And if you know how the game goes, if you think about a lot of the rules are logistics, like even if you know what it says in the, in the books, there's a lot of um, discussion at the table about whether or not that rule actually should stand. Because these books were written by people, and people are fallible. So sometimes you read something and you go, that doesn't really make any sense because of, you know, physics or other things. Or pre-established uh, game mechanics from other things that you've changed in your game. And you can, okay. at the table, have a discussion about, well, you know, I know it says this, but maybe, maybe we change it because we already said that blank exists here and we should account for that like lava mechanics are gonna be a lot different like okay let's take for example uh the heavy armor mm -hmm. rule about swimming because yeah. logistically it oh, makes sense yeah. if you're in heavy armor and you wade into a lake you're going to sink i don't think that you can negate this fact if you're in heavy armor and you're in a lake you're gonna sink. But if you've introduced, yeah, if you've introduced other things, like maybe there's a lot of salt. Maybe you're in the ocean. Okay. Maybe you're like, your game is like in like the Dead Sea. Maybe because of the saline solution, you may be able to float. Or if your, your setting is taking place in some magical realm where everything's really floaty, or you're on the frickin' moon. Moon fight would be fun. Sure. We can fudge that. We've established that physics don't really work the same way here. So then you can have a discussion. Yeah, I mean, just like the, I mean, the, the starting weight for heavy armor is 40 pounds. I don't know about any of you people. Have any of you tried to swim while you're wearing 40 pounds worth of clothing? It just, <laughs> yeah, it's just some of the stuff, like, like they try to explain it as best to their ability, but they don't know your world. And quite honestly, it's the dungeon master's guide it's not the dungeon master rule book it's not the dungeon master um you know requirements it's the dungeon master guide it's to help guide you it's not to tell you exactly what has to happen treat it like the pirate's code uh -huh. you should follow it until it no longer fits your your needs purposes. yeah what about you tasha tasha you've been super quiet yeah, no, sorry. I was just trying to think about what what do you mean by, like, sorry, getting in the mindset because it's just like, hey, stop freaking out and then play the game. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of panic for me, too. It's, it's freaking out, talking to friends, then actually playing the game and calming down. Yeah, for me, since I'm on, on the whole play 
as a social thing. Like, I don't j- go to just mm-hmm. play a game. I go to hang out with my friends. And especially now, because mo- majority of it is online, there's a heavy layer of, oh, hey, I haven't talked to you in since, you know, two weeks since our last session. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? And there's a lot of catching up to do at the beginning. So that kind of stops me in my preparation tracks because then I'm like, yeah, let's talk about our lives. And at some point I have to switch and go, wait, 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 wait. We're playing D&D. We got okay. to get going or else we're going to be here for seven hours. So that's also, you know, getting yourself out of the we're all friends here mindset and into the, okay, I'm in charge of this game. Let's go. Uh, that, that can be difficult. Having played a, long, a, a, a long-term campaign for, for several years now, the first few times I played, we were strangers, essentially. I was playing I was playing a game with strangers online. Um, so it was stressful. I want to say the first six months of play was stressful for me because I didn't really know these people very well. We were, we were all kind of coming into what, how we were playing. They were Most of them were new players. So, yeah, those first couple months that when we played, very stressful. I have a game tonight. I am not stressed about it at all. Because I have been playing with these people coming up on four years. So, for me, this is, this is my Sunday. This is just how my Sunday is. Like, this is, this is game day. So, uh, yeah, sure, I'm going to probably, once, we, once we're done recording, I'll probably go and be doing my, a couple extra due diligence things. Making sure that I've got all my minis set up. That all of my monsters are, are programmed into Roll20. All of that kind of thing. But... At the end of the day, it's okay if we don't get to that combat, or it's okay if we don't do this thing, or it's okay if they decide they don't want to go on the on the the adventure that I have plotted out. That's fine. That's just I'll figure something else out because I've grown comfortable with my players and how they play now. That we basically talk for about thirty minutes before our session starts. I know that they know that we all just kind of do that. We we've gotten into a routine basically we just sit down once everybody starts logging in we all kind of log in a couple minutes after you know the time starts or whatever and we talk for about 30 or so minutes once i know everybody's in the room and everybody's logged into roll 20 then we start it takes about 30 minutes for us to get everybody with all their ducks in a row so that's um that's just that's just how it's been i mean we just you get used to it and you get used to it not being as stressful. But it takes time. It really, really does. It, it takes learning who your characters are. Learning what their expectations from a game is. Learning you know, about your players. And making sure that your players are comfortable. And that you know enough about their characters. That you feel like you've got a firm grasp on like the direction that they want to take this story. That they want to take their character. And... It's just practice. Don't get me wrong. When I GM at conventions, I am still scared out of my freaking noggin. Because they're totally new people. I don't know whether this is going to work. I've maybe planned something ridiculous that's some kind of crazy plot twist. And I have no idea how this is going to be received. Because I don't know these people. I don't have any experience with what their former games are like. I don't know what they like in a story. So so it is. it's stressful. It's stressful when you play new games. When, when, you, when you're running a new game. But the long-term comfort of essentially getting to go hang out with your friends every month begins to override the 
discomfort of, oh God, I'm in charge. Who put me in charge? I need an adult. (laughs) Yeah, I think that goes hand in hand with your experience comment earlier. Also, the Mm -hmm. more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to be when you're doing it. So I think a good piece of advice would be if you're in a long-term game and it's been a couple of months, a couple of sessions, and you're not feeling more comfortable, either you need to have a conversation with your players and see why you're not comfortable and ask for a little bit of help. It's There's no problem in, or, or shame, there shouldn't be any shame in D&D in the first place. There's no issue with like saying, hey, it really stresses me out when I have to stop what I'm doing in the midst of everything else I'm supposed to be in charge of and go look at rules. Can I make you my rule book person? And just know that you're the one with the book. You're the one kind of like fact checking me because I trust you. And if you think it's important, just say, hey, that's not what it says in the book. And if you don't think it's important or it doesn't really affect anything, just, you know, let me do my thing. That could help. Delegate. Delegation is wonderful. Yeah. They're all they're all interested in playing just as much as you are. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I ended up having to do, um, or what I was thinking about doing with my new players. I was like, look, I've got one person who's super in love with this. They've read the player's handbook cover to cover. They just haven't played much. I was like, you hold that. You flip through it. Because if I hold it while I'm narrating and role playing two things that I love to think about and hate to actually do, uh, I'm going to go insane. <laughs> Another thing is if if you are comfortable doing it, you know, all the mechanical things that a DM has to do, but you're still not comfortable like getting into a session socially, I think then you have to take stock of who your players are and what your relationship with them is and what is causing you to be uncomfortable at a table with folks who are either strangers or not. That's very very true. Cuz there could be something there that that's not game related that's making it uncomfortable. Are like I remember I was playing a game with friends, and my friend's boyfriend was DMing, and my friend was doing a really good job about not metagaming and not flirting with her boyfriend, the GM, the whole time. The GM was not quite as good, and it did kind of sometimes feel like he was being playing favorites a little bit. And she would usually try and, like, you know, nudge away from that. But it can be uncomfortable when you think that, well, you know, I'm out of play. Like, being a third wheel in D&D party when there's not supposed to be any wheels at all is really uncomfy. Yeah. So it could be something social. It could be something outside of the game, off the table, that is making you uncomfortable. And it's part of the thing is, is Dungeons & Dragons relies heavily, heavily on communication. I mean, as much as everyone likes using maps and you get to see all the cool minis and everything, you can you can play the entire game with just theater of the mind. You really can. So everyone needs to have the ability and the understanding that communicating with each other is the golden rule. You have to talk to each other about stuff. You have to talk with the GM about stuff. And that that ability for people to be able to talk with each other outside of just the game but also in the game it it just that skill is so transferable to life it's it's ridiculous how useful dungeons and dragons can be in life especially from a gm it really is a team building exercise yeah it's a ridiculously great team building exercise 
Um, especially as the GM, because it's a leadership team building exercise at that point, because you are in charge. And it's very weird to think about the, the transference of those capabilities into real life, but they are. And I have absolutely used them when I needed to write college entrance letters. Um, this is why D&D made me a better person. I've, I've written those before because A, it has, and B, it's something I liked writing about, and so it was comfortable for me to talk about. But the mindset that you need to get into depends on your session and it depends on what you have planned for this upcoming session. Like if your players, if you've been playing for a long time, the mindset might be a little bit easier to get into because it's a more comfortable mindset. You're used to being in that mindset as that GM for that game, that it's um, a familiar, but if it's a new session or you're going to do something crazy insane like murder all of your players y y you have to you have to stop and think about or write out what you want from this game and then be comfortable with the fact that you might not get it i think that's a big part of it is the the i am both the writer and director of a play but i, I don't know the ending yet I think I might know the ending yet, but I don't actually know the ending, and I have to let my actors improv. And if they, they're not improving, then the game isn't as fun for them or for me. Yeah, it's it's just... It depends. <laughs> cool. Tasha, did you have anything you wanted to add before we move forward? No, not really. I mean, mostly my mindset is sit down, play games, so I stop panicking. So that's... Like, I mean, and, and I have less of that now, like significantly, but there's always that minute, you know, good 30 minutes right before game where you're like, mm, is everything here? Am I all good? Okay. I mean, like I said, I take the entire day basically to double check. That's why I play on weekends predominantly and because work. But so I can sit down and spend the rest of my day making sure, is everything I need there? Do I have all of this stuff? Am I really prepped to start the game? Once I know I'm prepped, I can go wander off and do something else because I know I'm set. But no, I have to double check before I start any game because I need to know I've got everything. All right, on to our next appointment. This one's also a really short question. Um, from Jason K, the question is, how do you deal with intelligent monsters? This is actually kind of fun. It is, it's pretty fun. We've talked about dragons in the past, and those definitely are intelligent monsters. So I think it would be interesting um, to look at some other intelligent monsters from the, like the monster manual and talk about those, because we've dealt with dragons. We've all dealt with dragons. Yeah. So the question is, do we want to talk about good intelligent monsters, bad intelligent monsters, or neutral intelligent monsters? Because they all have different play styles. I, I want to go through all of them at some point. I feel like this should be a reoccurring pop-in. Yeah. For me, when I think monster, my brain just automatically says villain because Scooby-Doo. That's fair. So maybe we start with that. But on the other hand, we've been talking about villains and opponents for a couple of sessions now. So maybe we should look at things that are more good or neutral aligned for the sake of seeing the other side of things. Okay. My intelligent 
intelligent villain that when, when we're thinking good first pops into my mind um unicorns uh sphinxes and um any of the uh angelic-esque monsters those typically come across to me as the easily found good creatures if, if we're excluding dragons because of course you've got the metallic dragons but we did talk about them already but from a good character standpoint we have not mentioned good dragons very much um but yeah those those creatures all have a have a level of intelligence that make them interesting to play because they can be very manipulative in their goodness they don't have to be straight up you know kind they just have to be good those are two very different things and unicorns and oh i can't remember how to say their name um they're like unicorns but they look like dragons that mixture like kai something i can't chimera no um let me see if i can't find the the name but uh all of them can be used also as patrons which is a whole nother like ball of worms mm-hmm well, let's see, unicorns... Unicorns actually only have 11 intelligence, but they're typically supposed to be more intelligent creatures. So, I guess it depends also what we define as intelligent. Are we going off with just numbers? Well, it doesn't have to necessarily, because I know unicorns are, are considered celestial patrons, or have that as an option. Are they celestial? I thought they're fae. Yeah. Hold on, I was just looking at them. Are they both? I haven't, I haven't run into a creature that's both before. Yeah, they're celestial. Well, I'm Never looking mind. at the monster manual. The monster manual does have Aracocra as monsters, as well as we all know that they, they're also now a playable race. So I think anything that has since been changed into a playable race, we can understand as being intelligent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that can hold a conversation, I'd say, is intelligent. I think there are certain beast type monsters like the sphinxes are both neutral but they're both have you know over 18 intelligence like they're they're incredibly smart creatures i think anything with the intelligence score under 10 probably i wouldn't count as much more than a beast that's fair typically they're, they're, those are your more monstrous monsters um let's see oh what Flumps. I think I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be intelligent, like they have families and stuff. What? F- flump. The the jellyfish things. They're the beaked jellyfish brains, right? No, 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 no. They're the. They're lawful That's good. The weirdest. Yeah, they're, they're aberrations. I mean, I, I I would argue, in terms of like, intelligence, like, hmm, because wolves have families, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have packs and they form really strong bonds, but I wouldn't equate them to, like, elephants who have, like, a cognitive thought process. I would agree with you, but these guys have an intelligence of 14, so they're they're smarter than your your average barbarian. But I was just looking at, I'm looking at the monster, I'm literally just looking at pictures of numbers, and there's a couple in here where it's like, sure, your intelligence is over 10. Or under 10. So, like, look, I'm looking at the centaur. Technically, they have a lower intelligence. But in terms of use of tools and complex thought and speech patterns, Mm -hmm. I would argue that they are an intelligent monster. Mm -hmm. 
even if their intelligence score isn't very high. Yeah, I just when you if you go to the wiki, they have a society page, so I feel like that's uh Yeah, if they've got a society page, they're probably but the Quexicotl probably would be another intelligent <gasps> oh, monster. Yes. And also, they're I think good. another patron. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, a Quex- uh, the, the Quexicotl is uh, 18 intelligence. And they're lawful good. I mean, they're, they're a good creature. They're also, they're also celestial, but they're not like angels, you know? These guys can be patrons too, I believe. But yeah, but if we're taking, if we're taking good, smart creatures... The Quexicotl is very interesting because they're, they're, if you look at their, their listing in the monster manual, I think it's page 43, because I have it open. Um, they are supposed to be benevolent. They're known as divine caretakers, which means that they like take care of um, uh, uh, the people who worship them, as well as the grounds that they're, that that they're being worshipped on so like their temples and things like that they take care of those as well as other deities and other religious or, or celestial creatures temples so that's something that they do they also can't lie but that doesn't mean that they can't answer vaguely it, it really makes it very clear that your creature though they can't lie does not have to tell you the whole truth they just can't tell you a lie there are not very many of them left in the world so for something like this kind of creature, they might, in the name of doing something good, I mean, they're lawful good, to manipulate the heroes into doing something that benefits the world. It might not benefit the heroes, but it would benefit the environment or the world or whatever the Quexicotl holds dear. So there's like, there's a lot of nuance that becomes available when you have an intelligent monster. And, and that can become very, very important because the, you know, when, when the monsters shape change too and can look human, that can add a, an entire flavor of what you can do. Because suddenly, you know, this NPC your characters have been interacting with, with this whole time, turns out it's a dragon or turns out it's a Quexicotl or some other shape changing creature. And that can be very interesting for the dynamic of the story because you don't have to reveal that this character is a shape-changing creature right away heck you don't even have to know that this character is a shape-changing creature right away that could be something that you figure out or decide upon later on in the story and then suddenly it turns out that they were this creature this whole time and ta-da and and it can create a really interesting narrative point that develops because of it but yeah but centaurs i would say because they're I mean, they have a lower level intelligence, but I would say that they're probably higher intelligence because I think they are a playable race. So that that actually those stats can vary. Does anyone else have a, have another good intelligent monster that we want to talk about? Trying to find it. I, I there is one, and I can't remember if it's in the monster manual or if it's in the Volos guide. What? I can't. I forget how to say its name. It's like K K I something, and it's the I haven't read up a bunch of them. I just keep seeing the picture and going, oh, I should use that sometime. I think it's in Volos, because it's not in this. Okay, let me try Volos. What about things like genies? Yeah, the djinns and things like that. Yeah. They're all typically very intelligent creatures. Um, They have a spectrum, depending on what element that they're related to, on whether they're good, neutral, or evil. For whatever silly reason. But again... 
a lot of them aren't aren't they typically because a lot of them fall along the neutral spectrum or in some capacity they are interested in doing things that benefit them not necessarily the heroes so they're much more interested in in a trade in doing things where they're like hey you may have come into my home and tried to raid my temple or whatever or my dungeon and i was living here but if you do this favor i won't kill you you know like i i I will make a deal with you and spare you that's the one fun thing about intelligent monsters is they will spare the heroes or have the high enough intelligence to flee and become an on an ongoing villain that can be very very important if your monster has the capability and then the capacity to flee they will i mean without fail nobody wants to die so running away to fight this fight another day makes a bunch of sense so you can have monsters that do that you can have heroes you know slog their way through an entire dungeon only to get to the end only to discover that the villain the big bad monster that they were going to fight at the end left because y'all are nuts and you raffle stomped my undead army i'm not staying for this that would be crazy i'm not gonna lie though my group was mad when i did that oh were they mad absolutely were they mad of course they're mad because because that's exactly what they would have done no they weren't gonna stay staying is for heroes um (laughs) i guess it depends uh, along with many many things about what the character npc or pc their needs and wants are if they're an intelligent being Uh they're not going to be working solely on sorry there's a cat in front of my microphone a monster or a beast that is only you know an animal or a line like on a similar intelligence level as an animal is going to be working off of one thing what it needs a cat a wolf a bugbear they want well i think bugbears are more intelligent whatever they can't be yeah a beast type animal is only looking at what they need they need food they need shelter they need sleep but an intelligent creature good or bad can also have wants it can have morals and beliefs even if they don't align with the player so i guess my advice would be think about what this beast or monster needs what this beast or monster wants and what it's trying to accomplish because as beth said it if you're a neutral or an evil aligned you know like let's take the genie they might want or be mandated to help the party but they likely are doing it in a backwards way similar to Faye, where they're always also looking for how can this benefit me so that adds an extra layer of thought processes that you have to take into account when you're playing them now those thought processes don't have to be super complex you don't have to get really deep into the psychology of a Ginny. But it would help if you can think about, like, why are they doing this? Because it's not because they're hungry. It's not because they haven't eaten or need to go find shelter for the night. They have motivations. So when you're thinking about monsters or villains or even just neutral characters who leave in the middle of a fight, you can also think about, would they actually leave? Or are they going to defend this until their last breath because it's what they believe in and what they stand for and what they were made for? An angel is not going to give up its guard 
guardian post of a celestial, you know, temple or whatever. It mm-hmm. has been tasked to defend this place and it will do it until it's dying breath. Exactly. But, yeah, but something like uh, like one of the, the jinns, if it's one of their homes, yeah, they, they might defend that because you've, you've come in and invaded their home. But if you just encounter them in the wild, they probably won't be as willing to die for whatever this is unless they like need that artifact but i mean the similar thing can be used because some of the giants have a higher level of intelligence like i know like the if you if you follow the the giant chain to like storm giants have a have a 16 intelligence so like they they too are also doing things um, they have a they have a society and a culture, and so are doing things that benefit themselves, that not necessarily that are specifically just you know I want food, I want this. They have they have machinations and plans that consist outside of the party, and so for some of these things, you're going to need to think about them almost as player characters. What are they trying to accomplish, and how do those things interact with the player characters doing things? How how do these two storylines touch each other and what can they gain or or how can they hurt each other this applies if we're going with monstrous monsters that are are villainous evil creatures something like mind flayers or beholders they're smart they they will set traps for you not just like your dungeon traps but like a legitimate real ass false alarm traps to sneak attack you or escape I mean, intelligent creatures have goals, not just needs, like you were saying. And so figuring out what their goals are is super important. And it's part of like why a a big bad villain, like your big bad end villain, is so important because he has a goal or she. that, That villain has an end goal. And you need to know what your end goals are, even for some of your not main villains, because if they have a high enough intelligence, they will have goals. They will have life accomplishments and shit they're trying to accomplish. And you need to know what those are and to, it'll help guide how that combat goes. Because a mind flare might be like, none of you were worth my time. I was, you know, just here to gather this one specific rock and then I'm dipping because... All of you peasants aren't, I'm not interested in any of you. So he would just leave. Now, if they attack him somewhat or in in some way do any kind of harm to him, he would be like, cool, I will remember that and come back and eat your brain another day when I have an army with me. So it's just stuff that you have to think about. I mean, like, uh, uh, I, I have a hag. I have a night hag who the hags are all above average intelligence. The night hag is the one that has the highest level of intelligence, the scariest of all of the hags, because technically they're fiends. I had a coven of night hags. There was three of them. It was only three, so it wasn't super. It was in a. It wasn't a super scary coven. But one of the hags ran. She was able to escape. They killed her two sisters, and then she fled. She is still an ongoing threat to them because she now knows who they are and hates them. So she is going to be a reoccurring problem for a while because she knows who they are and is going to essentially be building up another coven in attempts to come after their asses because they ruined her plans or her whatever. You know, they saved the children's souls that she had been stealing. 
that that made her furious so she is going to be a reoccurring problem for them even though when they initially fought her she had no idea who they were had no interest in them didn't care anything about them she is now super invested in who they are because they they screwed with her plans i'd say that when whenever you're thinking about characters the wants and the needs come into play but then when you're thinking about simplifying how to play a creature an npc that's either good or bad you also have to consider what their mental boundaries are what are their playable boundaries good example would be like a ghost a ghost i would argue has the same intelligence as whatever person they used to be before they died Mm -hmm. but they're stuck in a way they're trapped by whatever confines that a ghost has so like they could be stopped by location they can't leave Mm -hmm. they could be stuck by like the cycle of their haunting if they're not able to move past a certain set of actions then they can have as many intelligent thoughts and feelings throughout those actions as possible but when their cycle ends and they have to restart and you know like go back to the lake they died in to restart their walking cycle around this haunted manor mm-hmm. that's gonna stop whatever that thought process is they're gonna be beholden to that action or that the confines of their existence mm-hmm. as well so you have to take into account what the manuals or the character sheets say about how they act which is just actually a great point um i'm playing a game where it resets like like Groundhog's Day or or Eleventh Hour, mm-hmm. so you have to take that into account, like how people are thinking that hey we've never met and then like all the players totally know who this person is and how are they going to react to suddenly having strangers know who they are? Yeah, it 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 can be very important for for just the the con- continuity of the monster that you're talking about. For example, something like a lich, a necromancer, or a mummy lord. A high enough level necromancer and a lich are probably going to be more along your, how do I say this, insane spectrum. They are not, they might be intelligent, but they have massive flaws. Because of course, lich. So when you run into those kinds of characters or you're using, utilizing those kinds of monsters, they will make very intelligent decisions, but they will also make really dumb, glaring mistakes because somewhere in there, there was a flaw in their ideas or their plans. They overestimated their own abilities. They assumed the heroes would never find them. They, I mean, standard villain stuff, but something like a lich might flee from their lair because they want to survive. A necromancer might not flee because he's, you know, been taken over by the madness and doesn't realize that he's going to die or doesn't care. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to die and, you know, my, you know, whatever patron he had is going to resurrect him in the next life of the coming of the undead or some nonsense. Like, you could have really intelligent cultists and have them make really bananas decisions because of what that villain represents and what that villain's you know story is but then like a mummy lord a mummy lord super duper powerful very intelligent probably won't 
like hunch your 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 PCs down out of their lair. They might just chase them out of the lair and they'll try to kill them for sure, but they won't like hunt them down for any reason. They won't they won't feel a need to because they've essentially defended their lair because that's all they care about is making sure that their lair and that their rest is is kept permanent. They're not trying to like out and like take over the world. Typically mummy lords are not interested in taking over the world. They're just interested in defending their turf. But if you find out that there's some, you know, lich who's trying to take over the world who's in the same zone as this mummy lord, you might actually be able to get the mummy lord to help you because the mummy lord's like, move bitch, get out the way, this is my zone. And so a villain-esque character can suddenly become a ally because their interactions with the other villain is negative. Yeah, I'd say any 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 play with any aligned character that's intelligent, monstrous, celestial, anything like that. An intelligent character has to consider two things. What are their goals? And what is the logic behind the actions they're making? And how does that move them toward achieving those goals? That's that's kind of all it comes down to. And if you're really in a role play and character building, you can give as much personality, you can grow that character as much as you want. That could be really fun. If you're in a space where you can be like, this is my mummy lord, and then he keeps coming back and you're just like, yeah, this dude's crazy and here's why, here's his entire backstory, and you're into that, cool. But there's a lot of folks who are like, this is, I want a cool, big bad, but I don't know how to play it because I don't want to like I'm not good or I don't want to do any sort of like higher characterization for this thing I just want a monster that's kind of cool all right read the manual see what the game says about it and then maybe do a little research outside of the manual about the folklore that these things come from because I'm gonna say a Ginny is not like a western european style monster which tends to be what is in a lot of our folklore as an american like i'm used to i grew up with a lot of fairy tales i heard about you know like elves stealing children i'm used to those but it took a lot of research for me to understand like the motivations behind a genie outside of disney's aladdin that's not a good representation of the folklore where this monster comes from so if you're really interested i'd say just read up on it do, you know, a quick little Wikipedia search, go through some other, you know, like folklore books for other cultures if you're interested in those. If you're not a big Bible reader like me, then, you know, do your research on what angels actually are because they're not just little cherub teddy bears with wings like they sell at the Hallmark store. They're freakish beings, incredibly complex, beyond human comprehension that's the point. So just, you know, if you're really interested in getting behind the machinations of these intelligent creatures that you're looking for, I'd say just do the research. Look outside of the realm of D&D because D&D, the books were written by a majority of straight, white, cis males. And there's a lot of flaws in that just because that limits the perspective. I'm sure they did a lot of research. I know they did a lot of research. You can't make these things without doing a lot of research. I'm just saying by being human, we are flawed and we are beholden to our biases. So just get outside of just D&D if you want to get that deep into your story, because there's a lot of other things that you can take inspiration Mm -hmm. from. 
And and some of your good monsters are going to want to help the heroes simply because they want to help them. And that's totally fine. But they don't always all have to be like that. They don't always have to be... Even the good ones don't always have to negotiate with the heroes. They can just straight up attack them because they're invading their home. Now, the heroes might be able to talk their way down out of that combat, but they don't have to. They, I mean, they can still fight, you know, the the this angel or this good dragon because the dragon started attacking them. But they have the opportunity to know that these creatures can be negotiated with. with and that can be really important. Because it can unlock avenues that you can take for your characters, including the villain characters. Your heroes can choose to negotiate with your villains. And that can lead to some very, very interesting plot developments and things like that. Because you can have a hero sneak into, you know, the bandit, or not bandit, but the um, thieves guild hall and strike a deal with the leader of the thieves. And suddenly is now indebted to them, but has made this decision because they're an intelligent villain. And then, of course, your good dragons and things like that. I know we did talk about the dragons before, but your good dragons have a lot of nuance that you can give to them. And they can become very, very useful allies or enemies for your heroes. Because they're, they are ancient, especially if you're dealing with ancient dragons... An ancient being has such a far-reaching understanding that it's hard for us as, as you know, mere human mortals <laughs> to understand what kinds of things this dragon might be up to. And that as a GM can sometimes be difficult to, to RP because they're supposed to have this like infinite wealth of knowledge that you as a human don't have. And so you have to try to like hedge your bets on what kinds of things like them being able to predict stuff but that also comes with the inherent flaw of they have now ancient biases these biases that have been developed in their understanding for millennia i mean same deal with elves you can have elves that started out being good characters and still perceive themselves as being good but because they their biases have taken hold for so long they are actually doing harm I mean, that, that that could be a real problem. Yeah, I think just creatures that you're playing with outside of the party exist outside of the party. So when you're playing them, you have to take into account, okay, what are their motivations outside of this story? And then from there, work backward and go, how does this story affect them? And what will they do when it does? That's all you need. Yeah. And, and... Do research. Yep, do your yeah, research. Do your research. It's going to be really important. And understand, you don't have to also stick to everything that the players, that the monster manual says. You know? Like... Nope. You're in charge. Yeah, you, you, can, you can modify certain limitations and things like that. You're like, well, why does a sphinx have to be neutral? Can't they be good? Can't they be evil? Oh, I'm all for changing moralities. Moral alignment is so flawed in so many ways and they simplified it so that it can be playable but when you i hate especially when you're looking at like an a, a race of intelligent beings and you're using them as monsters if this thing has created a society there is no way that they're all evil but because we're looking at it in this perspective of us 
if this society's goals are to change things that are inherent to humanity or the playing society, we're going to deem them evil because they are not what we want. I know it's not meant to be that complex, but it... it... And, and you also encounter situations where they're a culture or something like that that was raised with the... Yeah, slaves are fine. They're raised with that mentality. And yeah. so when they... They can then have the option to develop as members of the culture to protest against that, who don't think that's okay, who to, who have counter arguments for that. And that can be really interesting and really... Morality is so subjective, especially when it comes to a collection of beings. It can be. And, and it can be very, very interesting for you to play with and to utilize. But, but... It might not be something all of your players want to deal with. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, if you're if all your players are from a quote-unquote humanistic society and you're going, you know, into the Underdark and there's an entire, you know, group of coded evil beings who want to change the things that the players hold dear and have known all their lives, yeah, they're they're in direct opposition of your party. You can code them however you want. You're still gonna stomp mm -hmm. them to death. I will say there are other options, non societal things that you can change. Like I'm looking at the mm -hmm. entry for the Kraken. Did you know it has a level twenty two intelligence? Yeah, I did. They're red. They are red. I've never played with them. My only experience with Krakens is Disney's Atlantis, and I'm thinking, okay, obviously that's not everything. And if you take into account things like Pirates of the Caribbean, I think would be a, a similar idea to the one that's in the book. But if you're thinking about like Disney's Atlantis Kraken, it's just a giant beast. But if you're, I, I guess it just depends on how you want to play it. Is this just a giant monster or does it actually have the intelligence? Because if you just want yeah. a giant monster that doesn't think and it's just a big beast, your your its goals are still defend my section mm -hmm. of sea, kill things, and eat. Yeah then you're probably playing a Kraken that has a lower intelligence. But if you're playing something like Calypso from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, it it's established very early that she has complex thoughts, feelings, and uh, mm -hmm. motivations. She just also happens to be a giant octopus monster. Yeah. So it just depends. It's all relative to the story that you're telling and how you want to play the game. So just do your research and you'll be fine. Yeah. I, I did find the thing I was talking about, though, just before we go. Sure. The Kirin? Yes, I've never heard yeah. of this. Um, I haven't done a lot of research on it yet either, but yeah, it's it's a dragon unicorn from mostly, it says J Japanese and Chinese mythology. Um, I'm not sure if it has wider reaching in that area, but yeah. Uh, a Kirin was similar to a unicorn in some respects, as it was a noble equine creature, with a single horn, it had a stag-like body, but was covered in golden scales instead of fur. Its horns and hooves were pinkish in color, and it had thick golden mane of hair. Its eyes were deep and violet. And that's from the Wikipedia on the Forgotten Realms. Um, mm -hmm. And that particular entry was cited from the Oriental Adventures of 3rd Edition. Oof, that's dated. <laughs> yeah. Oriental. Lord. Uh, yeah, oh. but I mean, from the name alone, it sounds like it's from a more Asian mm -hmm. folklore. But that's one of the... Like, if you're looking at this thing and you think, this thing looks cool, I want to know more about it. This entry is, you know, as simplistic as D&D &D tends to be for the steel monsters. Let's go and look at what mm -hmm. it does. 
And you can go and do more research and say, oh, it's actually from X mm-hmm. community of folklore. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I haven't done my research. It has another name that I think is used more often, or it possibly the Chinese name. I don't know. It has two names. I still am doing research on it. But this is the like Wikipedia page for the actual mytho- mm-hmm. mythological creature. So I've been I haven't read it yet, but Oh Oh yeah, so I've so seen Kir- those. Kirin is is Japanese, if I'm saying that right. Kirin. Mythical hooved chimerical creature in Japanese and or in Chinese and other East Asian cultures. Yeah, it looks like your standard uh Chinese dragon, but with antler like horns and hooves instead of big fluffy feet. Neat. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I guess it has unicorn vibes for uh simplification wikipedia is (laughs) your friend but yeah we i mean there's so many monsters in the monster manual that are underutilized or that people just you know you know your standards but you don't flip through the monster manual very often in that fashion to to look at different kinds of monsters and i think it might be beneficial to do a bit more where we talk a little bit more about just these individual monsters because i mean some of this stuff, we just, no idea what the hell that was. Or you flip through it and you're like, I didn't know that about this creature. And so it might be useful just to address more of those unheard of, unaddressed, unknown questions. Where we just like pick a page in the monster manual and we talk about the monster in that on that page. Yeah, you know, we talked about harpies after a question from one of our uh, listeners named Rachel. We talked about harpies for like a full 45 minutes. If you guys want us to do a deep dive into a creature or a specific rule or scenario or setting, let us know. You know, we can we can do our research too. Um, and we can come back with what we've learned and what we think and what we would change and what we wouldn't. So just let us know. And yeah. on that note, thanks for listening. I think that mm-hmm. kind of wraps us up here if yep. everyone's cool with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, keep on sending in your questions. If you have comments or just want us to do one of those deep dives, let us know. You can send us an email at deardoctordm at gmail.com. Doctor is spelled out. Or you can submit them to our Twitter page at dear underscore doctor underscore dm. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are amazing. We are working on, well, very slowly working on getting this podcast into more platforms anywhere that anchor podcasts can post our our feed is where we're at right now so we're on spotify and anchor and a bunch of other ones if you go to anchor.fm forward slash dr dm that's where we are and yeah just keep a lookout eventually we'll get on apple podcasts and we'll let you know the moment we do Uh, we will be celebrating so yeah yeah well Have a wonderful week, uh, and, you know, hang in there. It'll all work out. (laughs) Everything will be fine. Well, the doctors are out. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.